What's up, everyone, and welcome to Roots of Humanity, a podcast that celebrates the beautiful people and culture of our world. My name is Drew Binsky. I'm a world traveler and content creator who has spent the past 12 years traveling to all 197 countries in the world. In today's podcast, I speak with superior athlete Colin O'Brady about Ireland and America and shattering world records like a pro. Nowadays on the road promoting his new book, Colin talks about trekking across Antarctica solo, climbing the tallest peaks of all seven continents, and rowing across the Drake Passage, one of the world's most dangerous waterways between South America and the South Pole. What is it like to be the last remaining carrier of a family surname? How does it feel to return to your roots as an Irishman who was born and raised in the U.S.? I just did my 23andMe. I came back as 96% Irish. Tune in for a lively discussion about family trees, extreme sports, natural landscapes, and Irish pubs around the world. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get into it. Colin, what's up, my man? What's up, man? Great to be here with you. Where are you right now? Uh, I'm in uh, New York City. My book is coming out this week, so in New York doing a bunch of press, you know, rambling around the world like you always are. Congrats, man, and we'll get into the book in a little bit, but that's that's awesome. I'm uh, coming to you live from Prague. It's perfect weather outside, kind of the home base for summer, so it's, it's really nice. That's awesome, man. I love Prague. That's such a great place. I ran into a woman walking a mountain lion on the street last time I was in Prague, so that was uh, <laughs> that always sticks with me. It was, she was like, she was like, yeah, it's my pet mountain lion. I was like, what? Like... <laughs> That was crazy. I've seen a lot of shit here. I've spent about a year of my life in Prague, but I've never seen any mountain lions. Usually you don't want to see them, man. If you see them in the wilderness, that means that you're in for some trouble. But this woman, I guess, domesticated. It was crazy. It was like 100 pounds. She was like walking it down the street. It was wild. I walk my 15-pound pug every morning. We brought him to, my wife and I brought him to Prague, so that's been kind of nice. But if I see a mountain lion, I'm running the opposite direction. Definitely go the other direction, for sure. (laughs) Let's dive in. So first of all, you can't hide your identity because you're an O'Brady. Anything with O apostrophe just screams Ireland. So tell me a little bit about your family background and how you connect with Ireland. Yeah, it's funny. So my last name, uh, although it does have deep Irish roots, is actually made up. Um, and what I mean by made up is, so my dad's last name is O'Connor, and my mom's last name is Brady. So both, uh, both deep Irish Catholic roots on both sides. But they're a bunch of hippies. So when I was born, I was born in Olympia, Washington, at home on a futon with 30 hippies that my mom invited over to like hang out on this hippie commune that I was living on. And uh, so it was a very untraditional way to come into the world. They played Bob Marley Redemption song throughout my entire birth. Um, and then they didn't want to do hyphenated names. They thought it was like passe for the woman to take the man's name, etc. So what they came up with was, let's just mash them together. So um, I'm O'Brady. They didn't change their name. Is O'Brady. So my mom's last name is Brady. My dad's last name is still O'Connor. And I have sisters who were O'Brady's, but they've now married and changed their names in the more traditional context. So I'm the I'm the last remaining O'Brady. Uh, my wife didn't take my last name. So in my whole family, um, there's no other O'Brady's uh, at all. But it wasn't like two random um, names of different ethnicities. So it was uh, Irish Catholic on both sides um, from the Midwest. So my mom grew up uh, in a suburb of Chicago and um, my grandma was born there. My great-grandparents um, also in the Chicago area, south side of Chicago, Irish Catholic. Um, so big, big Irish family. And then the same is true on my uh, dad's side. 
um, kind of Irish Catholic family from the Detroit area. And then interestingly enough, uh, I've been to Ireland. I have spent some time kind of with that, but I'll talk about it in a second. But interesting enough, I just did my 23andMe. I came back as 96% Irish. 96% <laughs> Irish, which is what I'm told. Like usually it's like, oh, all of Western Europe or all these different countries or whatever. And it was like very specific. It was like these two different counties, County Cork, and I forget the other one, was basically like, you're Irish, which means like even though my family has actually been in the United States um, for I think at least four or five generations, they were basically in really small contained Irish neighborhoods in the Midwest where Irish were marrying Irish, marrying Irish, marrying Irish. Um, and so no, barely anyone slipped through the cracks in my entire lineage there. It's crazy, man. I'm surprised to see that. That's cool. I've actually never done that 23andMe test, but I'm, it's coming soon. It's funny that you're so Irish because I'm the only redhead in this conversation and I'm not Irish. Everybody just defaults that I'm Irish when I meet them in other countries, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Uh, also, a note on your birth. Holy shit, man. Your parents are like true proper hippies if that's how you were born with the oh, redemption yeah. song. Oh, yeah. Big time. Big time. Yeah. <laughs> Redemption song, organic farm on a hippie coming in Olympia, Washington, and uh, they've uh, they stayed pretty true to form. There, my dad's an organic farmer in Hawaii, uh, and my mom uh, is an uh, organic cherry farm in Hood River, Oregon. And they spent most of their careers working in the sort of natural foods health industry, long before you know the words organic and sustainable were thrown around in everyday language, much as like hippie co-ops and things like that. So. Uh, Food, health, wellness, being hippies, that's kind of been uh, been their thing. Uh, so a couple of Irish hippies, I guess. Do you think because of their, like, always in the natural elements and being outside and organic, that has shaped you to, to become who you are with, like, all your physical challenges? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that, uh, you know, when I was a kid, we didn't have a ton of money when I was a kid, but my dad, he was an Eagle Scout, actually. Um, and he used to always say, he was like, you know, the outdoors are free. So growing up in the Pacific Northwest, like, you know, you can drive, 15, 20 minutes in any direction, you're like, you know, at an alpine lake or a mountain or, or the coast or whatever. So a lot of my childhood, I always dreamed of, of traveling far and wide like you have and have had the good fortune in my adult life to, you know, I've been to not as many as you, but I think I've been to 70, 80 countries and every continent multiple times and, and all that. But yeah, it was that kind of started in my own backyard, really, really just my, my dad saying, hey, you know, let, let's go explore the outdoors. Let's go explore outside. There's so many adventures we can have, you know, right out our, our own front door. So um, yeah, that was hugely influential and particularly my dad's connection to nature with growing food, but also um, being an Eagle Scout, you know, kind of always teaching me about the outdoors and land and that definitely expanded my uh, curiosity for exploration around the world. That's really cool, man. And I, I can't say enough about the Pacific Northwest. I've traveled there many times. I'm having my third wedding in Washington State for the exact reasons that you said. It's just absolutely beautiful. I'll be in a Snoqualmie. Have you been there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Such a nice area. Yeah. Love it. There's one golf course there. I don't know the name, and there's a beautiful property on it. So that's where I'll be having our third wedding. First wedding was in a courthouse in Phoenix, which is already done. Second wedding will be in the Philippines on Valentine's Day in a few months and, or six months. And the third wedding will be a year from now in Washington. <laughs> so yeah, dude, Pacific Northwest all the way. I, I didn't want to ask, you know, I don't want to pry. I don't know if you said third wedding, it could have been on third wife, you know, you're a pretty young man. So I don't know if you're already on wife number three, wedding number three. <laughs> wedding number three, I should have specified wedding number, no, me and Dana have been together since before I made videos since October, 2015. So she's been with me. She, a lot of times she rides in the background, you know, she has her own business and stuff, but she's with me a lot of the trips she's, she's here now. So yeah, uh, looking forward to being in Washington state, man, that place is, is just a stunner. Oregon as well. You probably spent a lot of time in Oregon. I was actually there with Lee 
for everyone listening. He's a mutual friend. He's actually one of my best friends. And as I understand, you met him in Svalbard? Yeah, so Lee Abamonte, legend. So when I was doing my first big world record project, which was in 2016, um, I attempted uh, and I was successful to become the fastest to complete what's known as the Explorer's Grand Slam. So that's to climb the tallest mountain on each of the seven continents, as well as complete expeditions to both the North Pole and the South Pole. And fewer than 50 people at the time had completed the Grand Slam, and people you know, usually take five, ten years. You know, you, you go climb a big mountain like Kilimanjaro or Denali, and then you come back and rest in between uh, you know, Everest, North Pole, South Pole, etc. Um, but I said, can I do it faster than anyone's done, so do them all consecutive without taking any breaks and ultimately that expedition lasted 139 days but where I met Lee was actually in one moment where I thought the entire project might actually fall apart which was I completed uh, six of the nine expeditions for the Explorers Grand Slam and I needed to finish up with North Pole Everest and Denali so kind of three of the toughest but it's the way the weather and the, the timing works is you kind of have to line them all up at the end there and the North Pole season is basically the same season as Everest. Uh, for those that don't know, Everest usually traditionally takes like six to eight weeks to climb. You can only really climb it right in the middle of May, which is called the post, uh, the pre-monsoon, right before the monsoon wind or rains come, when snow in this case of Everest, uh, come to that region. And the North Pole is the same thing. The logistics on the North Pole, like talk about, you've done some of the craziest traveling of anyone I know, but logistics <laughs> to get to and from the North Pole are insane. Um, have you been to the North Pole? Have you done North Pole? I have Pole? not been to Has the North Pole. I have not. Bucket list yet? Bucket list. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure. I'm sure you will. Um, but so the North Pole to trek there, because I needed to still cross the last degree of latitude, is you have to get dropped off on the sea ice. So the only way uh, to do that is you fly to this little town um, in Svalbard. So there's a town called Longyearbyen, which is an island chain, kind of partially owned by Russia and Norway. It's sort of disputed sort of whose land it is I guess not disputed but it's sort of like unclear on non-autonomous I guess and then from there I was supposed to only be there for a day or two and I'm supposed to hop on this cargo plane that lands on an ice-built runway on the sea ice literally the Russians they chuck a bunch of like farm equipment and bulldozers like out of a cargo plane with parachutes it land them on the ice they people parachute out and then they build an ice runway and then people can land then of course it melts you know as the season goes on they do that every year which is crazy for like science and a little bit of tourism I guess uh, you know exploration and stuff and the ice runway that year cracked in half like I done building it and then it cracked in half and it takes a long time to build and so they just told us all of us they're like oh sorry the ice runways cracked we may or may not build it again I'm not sure if you can stick around if you want to and so Lee was on a, a different kind of expedition but a bunch of different adventurers and scientists and people ended up getting backlogged in the town of Long Yerbian. So much so that there was, I mean, it's a tiny little town. There's like a handful of hotels. There's no hotel rooms. Everyone's sleeping on floors. And so it's like this, this big summer camp, basically. And Lee Abamonte, world traveler, a dear friend of both of ours, um, happened to be there. So we, we, spent, we spent some days just stuck, basically, in uh, Long Yerbian trying to wait out the ice runway. And fortunately, just in time, they got it fixed, got the North Pole done, got Everest and Denali done. And, and that was my my first two world records uh, on that project holy crap there's so much to unpack and we don't have so much time but 
first of all, Lee's a great dude. I've been on many trips with him. He's, he's awesome. And he told me the story of how he met you and you guys spent a bunch of time in those bars and or the restaurants. I, I know longer you've been well. I spent a week there, so it's a, it's a cool place. Swall Bar, that's like the one bar. We spent a lot of time in Swall Bar. Yeah, yeah, Swall Bar, exactly, exactly. Northernmost bar in the world. When I said a bunch of bars, I actually was referring to that strip of that one strip where there's like a pizza place and all that stuff. That's what I meant by a bunch of bars. 139 days, is that what you said? Yeah, 139 days to, to knock all those those nine expeditions out. North Pole, South Pole, Everest, Dude, and all like how, how many days Zara. was... Was that your first uh, time hiking Everest? Yeah, it was my first time. I have summited Everest twice now. Um, so I went back last year and summited... Um, I read about this a little bit in the new book, The 12-Hour Walk. Um, but I uh, yeah, I went back and summited with my wife, actually, uh, which was really cool. Um, so we, we got to experience that together. She's supported all my adventures, all my crazy expeditions, um, but hasn't necessarily been in the mix. Uh, and uh, she set herself the goal of climbing Everest, so it was really exciting to get to the top of the world together. That's awesome, man. And, and just a side note, I just want to, you know, we haven't connected ever in person. We've been friends on social media for a while, but I just want to give you props that like when you're on these adventures, they're so engaging, dude. When you walk across Antarctica unassisted, like you're able to update with satellite phones and it's so cool. Like I've, I don't follow anyone or I've never heard of anyone able to give updates, like real life updates and like long, like, you know, paragraphs and paragraphs of how the days went. And that's, and when you were hiking K2 and when you were uh, rowing across the, the Atlantic. Drake Passage, Drake Passage. Oh, Drake Passage. Sorry, Drake Passage. Yeah. The reason I said Atlantic is because I, I, I recently met these three girls in Antigua who rode unassisted uh, over like three weeks from Cape Verde to Antigua. I'm sure you've heard of that race before. Yeah, they call that the uh, the Talisker Ocean Wissy Race. They row from the, uh, like I think, of, yeah, somewhere in the Canary Islands all the way to Antigua or something like that across the Atlantic, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, we did the Drake Passage, which was the most notorious rough uh, stretch of ocean in the entire world from southern tip of South America to Antarctica. Um, but yeah, man, it's a it's a wild row to get across there, no doubt, 40 foot swells. Um, but it's always for me, I'm always like, how can I update? How can I update people live? How can I bring people into these adventures? I mean, you do such a good job of that in all your travels. But in some of these crazy remote places, I'll be honest, when I'm walking across Antarctica solo, it's like, do I really want to update uh, everyone out there? But it's commitment to that because I think sharing stories, sharing you know places from around the world, it lights up people's imagination. Um, and so th- thank you for the, the love, man. It's, as you know, getting the camera out sometimes when you're in these places is tough, but you're so good at that yourself, man, of being able to capture that and bring people into those environments. <laughs> So mad props right back at you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. It is a lot of fun to share stories and not only for myself uh, to experience it, but to share it with millions of people and also to look back on it when I'm older. So that's something I definitely plan to keep keep on doing. Let's go back a little bit to cultural identity. So when, how many times have you been to Ireland? And when you went to Ireland, did you kind of did you have any moments where you felt like, whoa, like these are where my ancestors are from? Did you have any connection to that land? Yeah, um, I mean, it was it was really amazing. I've actually only been there one time. Uh, spent a few weeks there. Um, was really always looking forward to go. I'd love to go back and go even deeper. Um, my wife, she ran the uh, Dingle Marathon, actually. So we went to, we, we did a kind of a whole trip through there, but that was sort of the culmination. It was kind of an excuse to go there. We were living in Europe at the time, and she wanted to go run a marathon in a beautiful place. I wanted to go to Ireland, and so it kind of worked out. Uh, the Dingle Peninsula is is beautiful, man. It's like, it actually it ends up being like an 
it's exactly like a 26 mile loop basically just out on one big loop on the coastline there but we went yeah we went through all these beautiful parts of Ireland um, it was funny I was like it was, it was twofold I felt like definitely a connection to Ireland obviously I've heard just all these like you know, I said big Irish Catholic family kind of you know American Irish but like proud Irish like we're Irish we're Irish yeah. definitely like, particularly my um, you know grandparents and that generation um, but even all the way through to my generation my cousins and everything I think we feel connection to that the thing is that someone kind of made fun of me uh, maybe this is maybe a little bit shy but an Irish like an Irish person uh, made fun of me like early in the trip they were like oh, oh Brady let me guess you're one of those Americans that's gonna come here and like you know knock on a bunch of people's doors and like tell us that you're my 19th cousin or something like that uh, and so I was like in the back of my mind I was like yeah I kind of was gonna do that but now I feel like I shouldn't I did my and my um my let's see it's my I guess my great aunt um named Loretta has done a bunch of this cultural heritage throughout our life and so have like there's this kind of like family trees that we've like are hanging up in my grandparents house um to see like when when family came over so yeah it was really cool went back to um didn't find any like the grave sites or like that but my they said oh go to this town go to this this little little village and stuff like that it's just interesting to like walk around there I think you know as Americans obviously some, somewhat of a melting pot obviously of lots of cultures but particularly uh you know western European cultures a lot clearly yeah, I think it's fascinating, man. I think it's fascinating to think about, you know, where I came from um, and what, what, you know, kind of pushed people in my family to move uh, to the United States eventually. Um, and it's interesting, you know, over time you can lose touch uh, with that. But there's certainly uh, a deep, and like I said, particularly an American kind of version of, of Irish heritage. But obviously there's a huge migration from Ireland uh, to the United States for economic reasons in the 1800s and 1900s. Um, but I think the thing that was the most fascinating to me, man, was this 23andMe to realize that I think of, I think at least of now, and I know this is not entirely true, but the U.S., particularly the Western European cultures that came over, I think of them as like fully integrated. Obviously, we still have a lot of, you know, Hispanic communities, African American communities, different communities of different, um, you know, cultures, Filipino communities, etc. that same seem, you know, Chinese American cultures that seem pretty self-contained within the US. I don't think of that. And again, this is my ignorance in some regard. I don't think of the Western European cultures um, in that sense. Like, I don't think of like, oh, there's a big German contingent here, we're in a big, you know, Irish contingent, but really, historically, what I've come to realize is, particularly Irish, I mean, Irish were considered um, kind of a lower class citizen um, in the United States for quite a long time, hence why Irish lived kind of in these neighborhoods and hence how I could be at this you know in 2022 still be 96% Irish even though no one in my family has lived in Ireland for you know well over a hundred years and that's just because you know Irish were kind of in communities the Irish communities were just kind of um, intermixing with other Irish communities um, and that's fascinating to me that's really fascinating to me because my perspective on the U.S. is obviously a little bit different than that over time. That's cool, man. Thanks for all that information. That's fascinating. Do you know if any of your great grandparents spoke Gaelic? Um, I think it's my great grandparents, but they they must have. I mean, obviously, having been to Ireland, I think it's fascinating. You've been there, obviously. How Gaelic is still on all the signs, like on all the road signs. I didn't yeah. hear anyone like speaking it, but I think they teach it in school. Yeah. It's on the road signs, and um, you know, it's a huge, hugely important part of the heritage. So uh, I'm not sure in terms of the language diversity in, in my family, but I'm sure it would make sense that they uh, they would have they would have held on to that for a while. Yeah, it's actually one of the world's fastest dying languages. So I was thinking about going to Ireland to, to like meet Gaelic speakers and 
and tell the story because I, I think it's fascinating. So I had to ask you that question. One of the cool things about Irish culture is it's so represented well uh, across the world. I mean, one of my theories from traveling, uh, I mean, a couple obvious theories are like soccer is the ultimate connector of the world, except for Americans. Beer is another ultimate connector unless you're in a, you know, a Muslim, a dry, a dry country. Irish pubs are literally everywhere. Like in Prague, there's like seven of them. I think it's so cool that like Ireland has this like almost cult, not following, like if you're Irish, you're Irish, but they, they're just everywhere. And you can't go to any big city in the world that doesn't have an Irish pub. Uh, that that's more of a comment than a question, but that that must make you feel kind of proud. It is true. I mean, that has proliferated everywhere. And then even, um, you know, one step further, uh, I don't know how widely St. Patrick's Day is celebrated around the world, but particularly, I mean, that's like a pretty big holiday. Um, and, you know, it's not like a holiday where you get the day off work, but like, you know, there's parades and then it's like, you know, Ireland, like it's like definitely, you know, there's definitely a lot of people that are, that are hardcore Irish as well as people who are willing to jump on the Irish bandwagon to, to go have a pint at the pub. So, uh, you know, there, there, there's some fun in there. Yeah, dude, Ireland's so much fun just going to the bars, hopping around, drinking some Guinness. And, and yeah, it's definitely called a pint. That's how they, that's how they always say, hey, you want to have a pint? I love it. I haven't thought about Ireland this deeply in a long time. And now I really, really, really want to go back, especially because of the, the Gaelic uh, video that I was thinking. So I think you've, you've now convinced me. That's a good idea. I love it. <laughs> Tell me out of all the crazy feats that you've accomplished, uh, which I will list them out in the introduction to this podcast. So people will be briefed already. What are the three that you're most proud of? And what are the three that you're most looking forward to if you already have three planned? You know, the solo crossing of Antarctica certainly is hands stays up there is one of my proudest for sure. It just took every ounce of my determination, survival skills, fitness, mindset, etc., to make it to the other side. You know, 54 days alone, uh, pulling a 375-pound sled with all my food and supplies across Antarctica was definitely uh, a big push, to say the least. That definitely is up there. The Drake Passage Row, which we mentioned, uh, which is the first uh, first team of people to ever row a boat across the Drake Passage, kind of widely considered the most dangerous ocean crossing in the world. So to be out there in 40-foot swells and um, you know that was uh, that was really intense. Um, and then one, it's funny. I don't. This one doesn't get that much shine. Like a, it's not as sort of headline catching as my multiple climbs of you know Everest or K two in winter attempt and things like that. But one that I I'm personally proud of uh, this is, is a world record that I set. It's called the 50 High Points. So it was the climb the tallest peak in each of the 50 U.S. states. Uh, faster than anyone had ever done that. So I did all 50 in 21 days. Uh, so multiple mountains per day, etc. And look, on the east coast of the United States, like there's not big mountains. Like in Florida, the highest peak is like, it's like a little grassy hill. It's like 340 feet above sea level uh, called Britain Hill. Uh, so, but of course, in the west, you've got Denali, you've got these big mountains. But it was a cool way for, you know, speaking about kind of exploring culture, um, the U.S. is so regionally and culturally diverse. Um, and you know, each each little pocket had its own. I invited people. I did this thing on my social media at the time. I called the Forrest Gump effect, where I said to anyone, "Hey, you can come. I'm going to be at this mountain. I'm going to be at this trailhead at this time." You know, I was like following in real time, and people from all around the country would show up, like you know, ramp like, "Oh, this is my mountain in Arkansas." Like a family of people would come climb with me, or you know, 50 kids showed up in Virginia or whatever that is. So, um, you know, I was I was pushing, but it was also a really cool way to interact with people um, from different, you know, small communities and things like that around the United States. Uh, in terms of what I got coming next, um, I actually, uh, to be honest, haven't planned my next 
big expedition in front of me. Um, there will always be others, and I'm sure I'll be. You'll be seeing that social media box pop up soon uh, with another expedition that I have out there. Um, but I'm really excited. I know we're tra tra transitioning to talk about it at some point, but I am super excited. Um, I, I always say, people, what's what's your Everest? So my Everest was my childhood goal. So I always ask people, just like, what's their goal? What's their dream? What are they hoping to accomplish or experience? And I've been I've been saying not not just because I'm on book tour at the moment, but but truly deep in my heart. Um, no, let's talk about next, it. Yeah, my next Everest is my next Everest is this 12-hour walk concept, which is a book called the 12-hour walk, and kind of talk a little bit what it's about. But more than anything, it's a call to action. It's like really trying to inspire people to take action in this 12-hour walk in their own life. So yeah, I mean a little background. I you know when I was walking across Antarctica solo. Um, 12 hours was my standard day walking, um, pulling my sled, and I deleted all my music, all my podcasts uh, when I was when I was making that crossing. And there's a whole I wrote a whole other book about that called The Impossible First, a New York Times bestseller. It came out a couple years ago, so that gives all the details of that expedition. But the 12 hours was kind of the fundamental keystone to that because I was going to run out of food and fuel otherwise. And as my body got weaker, as my my you know my hips and ribs were sticking out, um, you know I was so beat down, I was so low on food. What crazy happened was my my mind actually got stronger and stronger. My mind kind of forgot my body's weakness, and that's really what carried me. And so when I got to the other side, I felt like I had this incredibly incredibly strong um, mindset um, that I could kind of take with me, just strength and and not just not just a perseverance, but a kind of all the important things of life, like filled with purpose and joy and fulfillment and connection to family and my wife and just like really kind of pure uh, in mind, body and soul. And I was able to take that with me and carry that with me for, for many years. Um, but then spring of 2020 hits and we, we all remember spring of 2020, yeah. you know, COVID lockdown, everything, <laughs> you know, everything completely shut down. Gosh, for a guy like you that travels the world, that's like <laughs> a, a massive shift. But um you know, for me, I had expeditions yeah. on the horizon. I had book tour. Um, you know, I had things going on in my life that were really impacted. But more than anything, the world's getting impacted, right? You're getting just the news is people are dying. What about you know my what about my grandparents? Worried about the people that are vulnerable populations. Borders are closing. Kind of just this really disruptive time. Obviously, we all experienced it. And I found myself in a really dark headspace. I found myself just in this deep, deep, dark headspace uh, in my mind. I was on the Oregon coast, kind of trapped in my house like everyone else. And my wife looks at me, she's like, you know, you haven't changed out of your pajamas in like three days. Like, <laughs> you know, like you don't seem like you're doing well. And she was right. And so I said, you know, the last time I felt really good was when I went was walking for 12 hours a day crossing Antarctica. And so tomorrow morning, I'm gonna go for a 12 hour walk. And so I literally walked out our front door on the Oregon coast, put my phone on airplane mode, and walked alone in silence for 12 hours. And when I got back, I walk in the front door. My wife says, you're back. And I said, well, yeah, I told you I was coming back in 12 hours. She was like, no, no, no. I can tell, like, you're back. She could tell that, like, the just kind of that reset uh, of fulfillment and depth. And so, anyways, it, it kind of, this, this solo is, you know, kind of, telling the story very quickly here um, there's much more in the book that's really about how we can all take this journey but I started suggesting this 12-hour walk to all sorts of people like family friend other people going through hard times and a lot of people took me up on it I said look it doesn't matter if you walk for one mile or 50 miles um, you know it doesn't matter if you uh, you know take breaks etc it's not like an endurance challenge it's just a challenge to be alone by yourself in your thoughts exploring you know what's right out your front door and now uh, my goal is to inspire 10 million people to take the 12 hour walk already so many people have taken it you can sign up on my website 12hourwalk.com it's completely free obviously but just the accountability to doing 
this thing, which is really powerful. And um, it, it's, it's, it's simple, yeah. but it's all about the mind. It's all about, you know, I believe the book really goes through. The book is, if you love adventure, the book is great. It goes through all these adventures. It's rich storytelling, but told through the lens of how we can overcome these limiting beliefs, how we can unlock our best life. And even if you're, you know, inspired by travel and the things that Drew does, um, you know, the book also goes through how Jenna and I had these huge dreams, these huge goals, and had no money, no idea how to figure out how to do it. Um, and it kind of goes through the process of taking that dream and how we all can take these dreams and turn them into reality and not just sit there in our house and go, oh, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough time, I don't know what to do, I'm not strong enough, I, I wish I could travel, but I'm just gonna watch Drew's Instagram because that's the only way that you know I can really travel. It's like, well, no, like there, there are ways to kind of overcome some of those limiting beliefs. Um, and so, yeah, that's really the, the essence of the book, but at its core, an invitation for people to take a day, put, put their phone on airplane mode, walk out their front door and explore the inner workings of their mind, body, and spirit. That's really awesome, man. I'm, I, I'm super excited to read that book, to follow that philosophy, because truth be told, like Deanna and I are so busy working and we're in our own bubbles. And then, you know, even just like going to dinners as we do almost every night, we started turning, not even bringing our phones. And there's so much value in that. It's like you don't even think to reach to your phone. It's so incredibly helpful and you really be in the moment. And then a step further, even before we started talking about your book and stuff, we actually started taking walks around Prague. We will walk down the river for like, I don't know, a mile and walk back. So I don't know, maybe like a one hour walk, maybe three or four mile walk. But you come back and feeling like you're on a clean slate, like you're not thinking about, um, you know, you're not looking at all these texts and your phone's not vibrating. Because even if you have your phone in your pocket and it's still vibrating, it's, it's annoying. You're thinking about work. You're thinking about what you got to do next. So it is so beneficial and just to be level headed and clear minded to to walk. Now, I haven't really done 12 hour walks. Let me take that back. A month ago, I walked across Liechtenstein. It's 35 kilometers. I don't know how many miles yeah. that is. 20, yeah, it's like 23, yeah, 24 miles. Yeah, like I, I did it without stopping. I mean, I, I stopped in the town of Vaduz for like, for like 15 minutes, but I literally just walked. I had a little backpack on and the concept was, can I walk across the country without any money, without a map and without a phone? So honestly, like uh, my phone was on airplane mode in my bag, but I had it as an emergency. I did not touch my phone, but I wasn't navigating with it. So that was a really fun journey and the video hasn't come out yet, but there you go. I mean, that was, that was only like eight hours of walking or seven and a half hours of walking. But I was also, wa I was also like walking. I wasn't like looking around, talking to people. I was like mission. And I was also droning as I was walking. I, I like stop and set up the drone and stuff. So but uh, dude, 12 hours of walking, it's almost like 12 hours of just taking time off from the world and walking is a great way to do it. That's kind of how I look at your concept. You know, you don't have to be that physically fit, fit to walk, but you could also take breaks if you need it. It doesn't have to be the most challenging thing in the world. You don't have to walk up a mountain for 12 hours. But dude, I, I really, I love that concept. I'm going to preach that. I'll post about it. Um, and hopefully, you know, the, you're already a number one New York Times bestseller. So what do they call it? Like number one? Times, times two, two. <laughs> yeah yeah no but you, you spot on you, spot on man i mean it really is as you said you know walking is a great you know uh way to explore way to move your body way to light up your mind but as you said it really is this uh you know people say oh i have to train for that and it's like no i don't care if you go for one mile or 50 um it really is about you know taking that time that reset in the, in the mind body and it's not to vilify social media or technology obviously i love that i use it the fact that we can be having this conversation right now is incredible technology right it's not to vilify that but it's also to say there is a time and the place to just take that break to take that reset um and to reset yourself creatively right like
like so you can build into the next projects. You can come back, like you said, with that clean slate. Um, but dude, walking across Lichten's side, I didn't know you did that. I can't wait to check out that video on your channel because that sounds that sounds amazing, <laughs> man. That sounds dope. I love it. For me personally, saying that I've walked across the country is cool. I mean, you've walked across a continent and you've done all this other shit, North Pole, South Pole. But no, I mean, hey, we can sit here all day and compare and contrast, but I think I'm really impressed by what you've been able to accomplish and uh, looking forward to meeting in person. And Colin, if you could say one message to every single person in the world right now, what would you tell them? Look within. The peace and the happiness is from within and then reverberate that out to all your friends, your neighbor and community. I love that. I feel like that's something that I would hear like at the end of a yoga class and then they would give you like one words of wisdom at the end of the <laughs> class. That, that, that's great. Uh, do you do yoga, by the way? Uh, a little bit. A meditation has been a big part of my life. So, um, yeah. Cool. Do you use Headspace or any of those or you just do it? You just close your eyes and do it? Um, I have used Headspace. Um, oftentimes I just close my eyes and do it, but I've done these sort of long meditation retreats that have kind of helped me, uh, you know, kind of learn learn the, the, those different basics. But meditation can come in any form. It's funny. Um, some people see it right off. Sometimes I call it meditation, call it we on a 12-hour walk alone in your thoughts is effectively a, a walking meditation uh, of sorts. But you don't need to like, you know, be a meditation guru to, to, to do it. You could just, you know, go for a walk. One more note on that real quick. Like when I was walking across Liechtenstein, I was measuring my, my distance by mountains. Mm. And it was crazy to look back and be like, holy shit, like I just walked past that mountain. Now I'm looking at that next mountain. I don't know how many miles away it is, but it's totally a meditation. I didn't listen to music the whole time. It was just so freaking cool. Colin, how can people find you on social media? Um, yeah, come follow along if you want to see the next expedition or look back on pre past ones uh, at Colin O'Brady. Um, and then, you know, 12hourwalk.com is uh, is all everything book central where you can sign up. Um, if, if you're watching this before September 10th, um, inviting massive global participation on September 10th. You can do the walk any single day and you do it alone always. Um, but I'll be walking on September 10th. All sorts of people will be walking on September 10th. So if you're looking for a date to put it on your calendar, go on the website, sign up. Um, um, and, and out very soon will also be an app that helps you track it all. So at Colin O'Brady, 12hourwalk.com, um, at 12hourwalk on Instagram. Uh, come, come say hello and take the walk. Awesome, man. This has been a great chat. Super inspiring. Thank you so much for your time and look forward to walking and to catching up with you soon, bro. Likewise, man. Thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast episode. If you feel inspired by this conversation, please share it with somebody who would enjoy listening. And if you're here for the first time, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to leave a review. Every week, I'm going to be looking through them and highlighting my favorite one. And with that all being said, I will see you guys next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.